Joseph Tunga is from East London. He makes and performs dance productions that tell stories of the underrepresented, relevant to the here and now, which are embedded in the languages of contemporary dance and hip hop. Joseph is artistic director of Just Us Dance Theatre, has created work for Edge, National Youth Ballet of Germany, Richard Alston Dance Company and Junior Ballet Madrid. He is also co-founder of Artists for Artists and recently became the Royal Ballet's first emerging choreographer. I talked to Joseph in April 2022 about his commitment to finding, making and sharing space, his desire to create dance in numerous contexts in order to tell the real stories of the underrepresented and the challenges of forging a path in new contexts that don't yet feel like home. Joseph, I think you might be uh, one of the busiest people in dance at the moment. So thank you for carving some downtime out for me to have this conversation. Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure. Um, So I've got lots I want to talk to you about. And before we talk about all the things that are keeping you busy right now, can I take you back to the beginning and ask you about your first love, hip hop? Can you tell me how you found it and what it was you fell in love with? Oh, Oh, wow. I would. Uh, how I found it, uh, I think I found the love of hip hop just through, you know, it's stereotypical, but it's like a bit cheesy, but through a bad moment in 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 my life and and growing up in certain environments and going to those activities was actually more of a release than actually playing football because while I love football is one of my first loves mm. where I was playing football you know some of the people I was surrounded by weren't all that positive so going to dance just gave me a different outlet in order not to be around certain you know certain vibes and certain scenarios Mm. I imagine that's not uncommon, actually. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we're talking about friendship and the obviously the physical activity and the sense of trust, I guess, that there is in dance. Yeah, friendship, trust. Um, th- that's what it gave. And, and I think football did give me that as well. But it's just through circumstances, you know, I, I was around certain people who, you know, weren't the most of nicest of humans, I, I would say in a most polite way. And mm. that kind of allowed me to see, and actually I have certain peers and certain people that I know that have that passed away through crime. So dance was a, 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 a real positive way of knowing, actually I'm in an environment where people want to express through movement and not just, you know, physical action that's not in a most positive light. Amazing. And so how did it work? What did you do in, in the hip hop world at the beginning? Were you? What did I do? I was just training. I was fortunate enough that one of my teachers at secondary school, the dance teacher, really was invested in helping young people dance. And that got me introduced into like, I never danced with Boy Blue, but I was trained by the senior Boy Blue members like Kofi, FM, Skittles, all trained me as a young artist. So while I've never actually danced in a company, they always called me like an affiliated mm. member because I've always been around and trained with them. Amazing. 
So how did you make your way to contemporary dance then and why? Mm, uh, I think I made my way through contemporary dance because I want, I always remember that I, in secondary school, I saw a video we were of Beauty Jones and it was an old piece that he'd done, but I was just like fascinated by the way he used movement. And then I was introduced to Wayne McGregor at that time, just quickly the way he kind of played about his movement. And I think I've always been fascinated by other languages, but didn't have a word for it. And he was one of my breaking teachers. He's like second generation breaker to the UK, Dolby D. He was like, Joseph, you need to do more training of other places. And that, and from there, I went to Eastland Dance Youth Company uh, under Boniodi. And from there, that kind of like grew my fascination and more understanding what contemporary dance or the different levels and styles that were in contemporary dance. Mm. And was that partly to do with storytelling that that you found a a different sort of language for that or a vehicle for that? I think not just storytelling. I think hip-hop does have in a sense, but Mm. I think it was more the quality of movements I could explore. Because at that time, you know, a lot of the stuff we did in hip-hop were quite fast, paced, hard, and contemporary dance had this softness that you could use in your body different qualities stillness there were just different things like oh actually that's more that's that's a bit fascinating because i actually hadn't watched a full like contemporary dance piece so i wouldn't in terms of narrative i wouldn't have known at all it was more the actual language yeah so I note that you say, obviously you are a contemporary choreographer now, um, but I note that you say um, you're challenging some of the proposals of hip hop. What does that mean? Mm, I, I don't think I'm challenging it. I think I'm just trying to implement my generation of thinking how we look at hip hop. And then, I, so I think that's different to how I'll say John Z was to look at hip hop. We are a different generation, how we see hip-hop. You know, he see, maybe from my point of view, he sees hip-hop more in a theatrical way of some of the main cause of breaking. And I feel like with my generation, you know, the world has developed and the language of hip-hop is more vast with the different influences. So it's just about how we implement, you know, that into my work so people know the basis of what hip-hop is is in my work. And that maybe comes down to also just subject matter, making my work. It's not that it's political, but it's talking about what's happening now. Yeah. Most of the time, it, it has to have meaning and purpose and a sense of talking about what is current in my life and other people's life that needs addressing. Yeah. So in terms of content, um, actually you're in the middle of creating a trilogy right now. I guess you've created mm-hmm. two parts, uh, Born to Manifest and Born to Protest. And you have an, an, the third one uh, later this it's year. Born to Exist. Born to? <laughs> exist. Brilliant. Okay. Um, so yeah. And as you say, you tell real life stories of people who are often underrepresented in mainstream dance or theatre. You like to challenge audience per- uh, perceptions by addressing racial stigmas and societal mm. stereotypes. Um, thinking about Born to Manifest, I think that's a duet you created yeah. before COVID kicked off. Then it became a four-part film. 
And now it's a show again. Is that right? Yeah, we're back to it. Yeah. Yay. Finally, it's a show again. Um, mm-hmm. Can you tell me about that then in terms of content? What's it uh, about and, and, and how and why was it made? So originally, Born to Manifest was meant to be a double bill of a solo and a female trio. And that didn't happen. Uh, and I think through the R&D, I think I was, I got more of an urge and through talking to creator team that actually there was a story that needed to be told separately and not in a short span of like 20 minutes. And I think that's how Born to Manifest and Duet got born more about, actually, let me talk about my experiences that I think many people don't know about who are around my sphere of friends and circle, but also other guys that I know within the UK that go through certain things and people just have misconceptions of their relationships as brotherhood and just as people. So I think that was so relevant to me at that time. And that was making that work. I made that work in 2019. So it felt that, okay, needed to do that. And, and, and I think that's how Born to Manifest really came out. I was trying to address just, I was fed up with people streaming just because I was this big guy that I don't have certain feelings or feel certain things or go through certain circumstances in life. It just maybe I'm not as expressive because of things that's happened to me that's caused me not to be as expressive, but it doesn't mean I'm not. And I think that's what Born to Manifest tries to deal with that emotional side, but also just a stereotypical side. When you see me, what do you see? How do you react? You know, how does that make me feel? The fact that if I just raise my voice a little bit, you're threatened. Mm-hmm. And if you do that, I, I'm not allowed to be threatened or fail or get nervous by your persona. So it was kind of, yeah, looking at that and just looking at brotherhood. And how do you do that? How, how do those experiences and those ideas become movement and become a show? Did that through questionnaires, interviews, and just find common factors of what people were talking about so we can narrow down some of the things. And then in terms of movement, spent like maybe like a week in the studio with just an outside eye and just going through different textures of quality of movement that we felt would express. So it wasn't looking at, oh, let's do crop, actually. What about this uh, particular scenario reads to me, reads to other people, what movement is related to it? So how can we go deeper into it? So it's not just, oh, we're looking at crump, but what within crump are we looking at? You know, what dynamic, what texture? And I think that's that took a while, but it was, I think, a constant just moving, improvising. I think at one point in rehearsals, we had a camera on and I was improvising for like three hours nonstop every day. So it was just like things were coming out. And then from that, we just probably used maybe like four or five minutes worth of movement that we thought we can base certain part of the piece upon. So when you're doing that for three hours a day, that's um, an emotional journey as well as a physical journey. Exhausting for a lot. <laughs> mm. But you're tapping into the experiences you've had and, and all the research you've done. And yeah. It's... Tapping into memories that's in my body. Like, how does that make me feel in that moment? Trying to understand it. And I think it's that thing of trying to move past it. 
So not allowing my body to sink into that motion so much. So actually trying to train myself, how can I feel it and then move past it and explore it while someone is giving me instructions to keep going so I don't take things, you know, so personal that I'm not allowed to explore too much. And, I've, and, and, and that was draining, but I think it was, it was worth it because it just allowed, I say, a lot of rubbish to come out of my body and really understand, okay, these are the imageries that I want to keep because I'm a big fan on images. Mm. So I think it, I, I like to work for imagery. Yeah, well, that's clear in the work, I think. And so you, you go through the body and you find the images and then how do you construct the whole piece? Uh, so I think for Born to Manifest, what made it not easy is that from the questionnaires we had, I already had certain sections that I want to explore, not the order, but I like, we had one section is called, uh, I've got your back. You know, there's a solo that deals with it, just two different, uh, journeys. Uh, there's one that, uh, deals with just pain and memories. So we just... It, it, and it's kind of putting that together and then through rehearsal, just trying to find which kind of order, which way would it go. I think the, what I wanted to do was not to make it have a beginning, middle and end, but just to have a, it's a series of moments that you are seeing being elaborated and extended. So it doesn't make sense in order, but it makes sense in memories. So you can relate, oh, oh, that related to me, this related to me. Not, oh, this is a journey from A to B to C. Actually, that's not everyone's journey. So it was about trying to find respect in, and also myself, an artist, not stereotyping what someone's journey should look like because it's all different. So let's look at it as moments. And I I think that's something I try to do in all the, the other pieces born to protest and now born to exist is kind of like make sure they stick to moments and not a lineage of begin, middle and end. Mm-hmm. It's a more visceral experience that way. Yes. Yeah. So you present your work uh, with and through your own company, Just As Dance Theatre, which you set up in 2007. But it's yeah. not only a producing company. It also offers artist development programs, both here and yeah. abroad. And you have a hip hop apprenticeship company. Um, why is that side of things important to you? Oh, for me, it's, I think it's important just, it's how I got into dance. You know, people took time out to invest daytime for my growth and for my state of mind. And that's always stuck with me. And that's always been a, a thing for me that my work always has to be connected to supporting artists or community alongside whatever choreographic thing I do, no matter how big it is. If I'm working at a super big production, I have to feel like I have to have young emerging artists or people who, don't, who are not in those spaces to be in those spaces. And I think that is... I think, I think it's not a pressure I put myself, but it's something that is priority. And, and, and I think not every organization understands that mm. because I think it takes away from the quality of the work, but I think it just adds to it because that, that is me and without them, there's not me. So I think supporting and creating opportunities is at the core of what 
I do. And then now what I'm trying to do is really separate it. And I think the reason why I went under Just Us was just to make sure Just Us has some weight in terms of who I was as an artist. But now it's, I'm separating it that Joseph Tunga is one thing and Just Us is a separate, a separate entity that can support itself now mm. that it doesn't need me to say anymore. And I think that's like the journey that I'm, we're on right now to making sure people understand that now it's come to that point where, you know, I can separate Joseph and Just Us now. Mm-hmm. So it's like you, you set it up, but it's sort of, it's outgrown you in a way, or at least it can, it can stand on its own two legs. And um... Yeah. And that's my ambition. My ambition is that, you know, at one point Just Us can have someone else that takes over, who understands the ethos and I'm just there guiding them, but it doesn't have to be me. I, I'm not pressured. I think my precious thing is that whoever comes in, support, nurturing, is at, a, is at a core of your idea and self is at the back. And I think, and that's why I'm very picky who I ask to come in to do, to lead on the Just Us project because I feel like it has to be someone who understands that you're not the limelight. And that's something I also have to understand when I do anything Just Us, I am the background and these guys are the forefront. So, and, it, and it's just making sure that that's kept like that. So I think that's really key in how we achieve stuff within the programs. Mm, it's a lovely spirit. Um, and I don't want to get too technical about funding, but you're not an NPO, are you? You're not a regularly funded organisation. Yeah. Okay, so that's um, for those of people that don't live in the UK, the NPO means, you know, you get three years worth of funding. and So that's a lot to do without that. Uh, it's a lot of respons- responsibility for you and for just us to be offering these, you know, apprenticeship, uh, the apprenticeship company, et cetera. Is that because, do, do you have to do it because nobody else is? I think, yeah, I think I do it because not, it's not not everyone, no one else is doing it, but I think people have different priorities. And I think w- what's key to mine, it's, it's part of my practice. And I think that's what's different. It's not something that I want to make up. It's actually part of my practice. It's, it's easy for me to think about it because it's part of my thought process. Mm. So while it's taxing and it affects my personal life, my professional life, I still think it's something worth doing because it's a gap that is still missing. Like, that's why the apprenticeship program, you know, PAPE was designed is to allow, you know, young hip-hop artists who haven't, you know, that step from being emerging into professional dancers for a hip-hop company, they need space to train, but also you just need investment because economically, if you're living in the UK, London, it's hard in order to be a part-time performer and trying to get to the top. So the apprenticeship was a way of like, let's give you time, three, four months to train, to work with different artists, and then that's proof that with that, you can see the jump in quality the way that that's actually is worth doing that investment. So for me, hopefully it's just a springboard that allows other people to feel actually, you know, we need to invest and do that. So it's not just London based, it's actually UK yeah, base. It's really exciting. <laughs> um, and you 
presumably the, these values that we find in your processes, in your, in the essence you say, in your practice, you know, fundamentally, um, it's also part of the reason why you co-founded Artists for Artists with Emily Crouch and Lee yeah. Griffiths. That's the same thinking, is it? Yeah, it's the same thing. So Artists for Artists was found, uh, saying through the love of hip hop, but it was the main core was about developing hip hop makers who their core was hip hop. It wasn't, I want to do contemporary dance. Actually, no, I just want to do hip hop and collaborate on that with Lee Griffiths from Farm From Norm and Emily Crouch also produces uh, me. And Lee was actually part of a Just Us program. So that's how much she was part of New and Notable mm-hmm. as an artist. And then from that, I realized that she also wanted to do more support. So I brought her in and then we came together to develop Eyes for Eyes. And it kind of has the, the same kind of ethos. It's really just to support and, it, and it's artist-based. And I think what makes it work is that I'm also a practicing artist within the company. So I can also address some stuff from some of my experiences. But what we try to do is bring a core of people at different moments just to talk about their experiences and see how we can develop the programs more efficiently. I think that's what is different to just us eyes for eyes is more artist based upon the experience and and very catered to understanding what's currently happening now and how can we change sectorally, but also freelance wise. And what are the changes that you hope to see that you're looking to make? I, I think the changes we're hoping to see is not that one hip hop person in a program a season I think there has to be a collective amount Uh, I think what we're hoping to see is more credibility for hip-hop artists practice you know but also I think about them going a journey to understand how do I speak about my practice so I think it's a both two-way thing developing their practice understanding that and people recognizing they practice in a way they make it's legitimate and is as creative and as powerful as contemporary or classical makers. So I think that's a change in thought that I want to really get to people. Brilliant. So you've um, found space and you're sharing the space and you're trying to create more space. Uh, and also you're moving and operating now in different spaces. So you made a piece recently for the ENB school. And yeah. now you have been made the Royal Ballet's Emerging Choreographer, which I guess is a two-year uh, programme where you get the opportunity to work with the Royal Ballet and you get mentored by Wayne McGregor. Uh, how's that going? I've got... <laughs> <laughs> oh, that is... I knew this question is the one that's going to catch me off guard. Uh, it's... You know, it's going good. I, I will say that there's a lot of work to be done. I think what I've enjoyed the most is the support of, of Wayne in terms of trying to integrate me into that space and understand and really know that, you know, I come from such a different space, both professionally and just personally. So trying to get me to navigate and understand that I do belong because I think in my head, I'll be honest, like, I still don't think I belong in that space because I feel like I, it's it's two different worlds and there's still a lot of understanding to do with 
someone of my background being in that space. So I think that's a, a journey that I, I struggle with and I think the company's trying to understand what that means to them. But creatively, it'd just be nice to be in a space with different bodies and the two, I've, and I've been lucky enough to work with like the most two senior members, Natalia Ozopemba and Sarah Lamb to really explore stuff. And that's really just gives me an insight in terms of re-looking at language and how do I re-articulate the hip-hop language in someone's body who's not familiar with it. So I think that's been a really positive thing. But the, the negative thing about that space is I feel alone because no one else who looks at me. And that does person for me weigh on me sometimes. The fact that while I know that I'm in the space and hopefully there's got to be many after me, but is what do I do to make sure there is many after me, not just me. So I think that's the, the battle I have and the battle just to the, 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 the company to also recognize that people need to see me more often, also through your social media, but also just in general, but also need to see the other diversity that you have in a company because I think that's not highlighted and I think you need to highlight that more so yeah but apart from that yeah I'm, I'm enjoying it it's just very, it's just very different very different space I yeah I can I can well imagine and it's brilliant that it's happening um and you know I'm sure it must be really exciting for you but I can also I understand that weight you know this is mm-hmm. new I guess it is trailblazing I guess um uh and it's like you have to you know, follow this path and, and, and yeah, open, you know, keep the door open behind you. But I understand that that might be a bit of a lonely experience, Um, but it's still brilliant. (laughs) So well done. Mm. Um, And yeah, I mean, the really exciting stuff about working with ballet bodies and finding new languages there. Well, I mean, it's all exciting, but you know, that's a really interesting part of it. Mm -hmm. So that's uh, resulted in a performance, is it? Yeah, it was also in a performance that I did. Uh, so I did a dance film in the summer of Natalia. And then yesterday and Monday did a solo, short solo on Sarah Lamb. And I can say this now because it's going to be announced today. And so I'm premiering like a short 15 minutes work on a company on main stage in November. And that comes out today. So everyone's going to so at least. <laughs> in, in November, did you say? In November. Fantastic. Okay. I was going to ask you what, what, what would happen in the future. Brilliant. Yeah. So that's what an announcement that's made. And that, so I think that's a added pressure without them realizing like, ah, oh, it's just, it's not a show. It's, I think there's an expectation that not that people doubt me, which I, I know some people do because I've had experience. People don't think that I should be in that space, but there's a thing of how are you going to make a longer piece of work? on bodies, knowing that you, we understand there's always limited time. So I'm excited about that. It's really yeah. exciting. <clears throat> and you don't come into this, this process at the World Ballet knowing the answers, do you? You have to yeah. do the research, do the work, begin the conversations and then mm-hmm. and see what comes out of it, which is yeah, incredibly exciting. Yeah. Um, 
And also, of course, part of all of that this week, as you say, you've already had something on last night, um, but also you're presenting two pieces later this week. Um, so Born to Manifest, as we've discussed, uh, which you're also performing in because, you know, well, why wouldn't you? <laughs> T- time on your hands. Um, and also Born to Protest, uh, which is the, the second of the, the three pieces in the trilogy. And these are one at the Opera House this week, April 22. What can you tell me about Born to Protest? Born to protest is, so born to manifest in French means protest. So it was just me <laughs> calling it born to protest because actually means manifest. And it's just basically the whole reason why it was developed is that from doing a bit of the tour, I realized I'm not getting the faces in the community to come and see it. So how do I transfer that? And born to protest is an outdoor piece of work. And it's an outdoor piece of work where it also starts the conversation of introducing a black woman into it. So why are you so born to manifest uh, a black male's perspective? In Born to Protest, you start seeing a hint of the relationship that black men have with black females, their sisters, their girlfriends, their mothers, and how that impacts them without us subconsciously realizing so that deals with that so it's a we have a five card version a seven Hmm. a ten and eleven but it's always one female okay and i think that's really important that that one female is really so highlighted because she's the one out of the many and that was basically what born to protest is just Basically expanded on Born to Manifest, but an introduction of a different quality of feelings or movements. Really interesting and fascinating that you have all these different versions. So um, Born to Protest was a winner of one of the Without Walls 2022 commissions, wasn't it? So, yeah, it's, it's touring festivals across the summer. Yeah. And it's at the Royal Opera House this week. Crazy. Um, how, how, is, how, is, how different is that for you, making a piece for the outdoors and and then bringing that piece indoors, what's that journey like? It was, do you know what, it was, it was okay because I was lucky enough that John Z saw Born to Protest in Leicester last year, early last year, and then asked me a cheeky favour and go, Joseph, would you be able to do this, a tiny shorter version, indoor, for break convention, for the tour in the Netherlands? And I think that's when it first came. Actually, it could do. So then I already had a process of starting to explore in rehearsals how we can kind of re-change certain facing and certain stuff in the piece. And it was okay because I think what, one thing I tried to do when I developed to protest was to make sure it could go to different spaces. So it could go into spaces that were just, you know, front face or 360 or 180. So then putting it in a theatre space actually wasn't so much of an issue. I think the issue is how do you retain some of the personal stuff that the dancers interact with the audience and still, and that energy still remains. I think that was the hard thing trying to do, remain that relationship, that closeness. People felt the energy and felt they're involved in it and felt they can react to it. And now they can't because it's sitting down, you know, it's a full floor, there's lights. So I think that was the biggest thing we had to work on is how do we 
keep that energy in this space so then people now feel like they're looking into our experience and not part of our experience. Right. That's really interesting because normally uh, it's outdoor work that struggles with intimacy. Um, mm. but, but I guess you've set up a really direct relationship with the audience and now you're losing that going into to the indoor space. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Okay. Um, and I was really interested to read that Artists for Artists commissioned Shirley Ahura to do some mapping research on the whole sector. And that found that only 5% of the hip hop artists uh, interviewed were formatting work for outdoor settings, which really surprised me because it seems like an obvious fit, really. Yeah. What, what's your thoughts about that and, and, and what's happening there, do you think? Yeah, I think that was really fascinating because I was surprised as well because I thought it would have been a lot more. But then I, I think it's not an avenue that, even though hip hop is a street form, we've never seen it as, it's not maybe never seen it, we do, but as another way of looking at expression. Because we've now, it, it's that thing where hip hop theatre is so new in its form that we're still trying to navigate indoor space, theatre space, maybe some gallery space that actually haven't discovered, hold on, what we do outside already, we can make it into a show and have the same kind of thing. So I think that is something that artists, artists now are trying to make sure we, we push a lot of that. Our next aim is that to push an out, more outdoor way of thinking and making work and seeing what that is about. But also children's show. We have a lack of artists who develop stuff for children, for families. So that's also one of our other aims to really tackle that lack of, because there is artists there, but we just need to give them the space and environment and the collaborators to feel like they can develop the right piece of work. Fantastic. It's so true. It is something I realise that, that we don't see much of. Um, so it's all about adaptability, isn't it? You know, well, for, and generosity, I think. So you're looking at all the places that need support or need pushing or yeah you know you need to get to get the work out there and develop the work and also uh trying to maintain your own practice as well making work indoors outdoors diff, you know shows with different numbers of dancers uh in the royal opera house uh, in the park etc cetera, etc cetera. that adaptability is obviously a massive strength um and presumably that's part of what you're trying to uh train or encourage in, in other artists as well yeah I think that's yeah that, that, that's definitely something I, I, I'm trying to get to other artists and I think what I also trying to do is just to make myself available as much as I can because I think one thing I'm learning is that as you get higher in the ladder people think you're not accessible Mm. And I think my perception is trying to make sure people still know that I'm accessible no matter if I'm, you know, at the opera house now or this. Because I had an experience yesterday. So knowing that I'm now in this kind of ballet scene, I, there's certain things I'm naive to. So I've taught like a White Lodge and all these kind of schools and forgetting the impact that I have on people. So yesterday, there was like two young boys, probably like 11 years old, I was talking to one of my friends who I invited to the show and they came up to me. I'm like, oh my gosh, 
you're Joseph. And I was like, huh? And I was really, <laughs> I was so surprised. And they're like, oh, we're so looking forward to your show. Blah, blah, blah. And then their mom came and started laughing. I was like, I said, why is your mom laughing? She was like, for the last five, 10 minutes, they've been trying to ask if it's okay for them to come up to you and say hello. And I went to them, guys, like, if you see someone, you know, go and say hello to them. Like, mm-hmm. we're normal, I'm normal, you're normal. And it's that thing where, they started just speaking and be honest, like, oh, certain choreographers, they were like, oh, when they come, I'm I a bit not approachable. So that thing that just reminded me to make sure that people feel and know that you can still message me and I'll get back to you as fast as I can. Or if you've got my number personally, send me a text. I think that's something I'm trying to make sure I bring out that people still feel that I'm, they're not disconnected from me and it's not a real, yeah. It's not unrealistic. Okay. Uh, it's all really exciting. And I imagine that maintaining that generosity isn't easy, but well done. And uh, I'm sure it's really appreciated. And obviously your values, as well as your brilliant choreography, are being uh, appreciated right across the sector. Um, we've now got to the point in our chat where I'm going to ask you some random questions from my little yellow envelope. Um, my little cards. Okay, as the director of a company, what single thing would make the biggest difference to you and your work? What single thing would make a difference? <laughs> uh, a PA. <laughs> a PA. Come on, you're at the Royal Opera House. You ought to be able to have a PA. <laughs> Do you know what? That is one thing I discovering that I need. It's a bigger team, mm. I realise, because... I've accepted that I cannot do everything with this, the amount of team that we have, just me and somebody else and Emily. And actually, it needs to expand in order for the company and myself to grow. It's a classic thing, isn't it? You've put in loads of work. You've had great response. You've grown and grown and grown. and But the infrastructure hasn't caught up with you and the funding ne- hasn't necessarily provided this. But actually, that's going to limit you if you don't get that because you need to keep growing. And, 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 and as you say, you try to make yourself available and you operate in so many different spaces. So it's a really reasonable request. Um, and, you know, it's in everybody's interest that you get that because you need mm-hmm. to, to, yeah. to keep going and keep growing. And yet it's a difficult thing to put on a funding form, is it? Yeah, it, it's, yeah, yeah. It's, it, you, you have to, I, I think what I've done now for some projects is just been lucky enough that we've got now some private funding that allows me to get someone extra for certain projects to support me and my running on stuff to make sure that I don't fall back on other stuff mm. within the company. So yeah, that, that is something that now I, we try to see how we can put that in a budget line, maybe a, an assistant producer, yeah. someone just to really push and support in a different way. Yeah. I'm sure you'll get there. Uh, next question. So there was lots of um, talk of sector change during the darkest days of COVID. Have you seen any actual change? Do you feel like um, in any way the sector is growing or changing? Do you know what? I thought it would. I, I think it's taken little steps. I think there's been some some lazy steps like, oh, now we're just going to employ loads of different blackness minority in, in, in every space and not actually evaluate how we're going to support them in that space. Yeah. You know, there's no point of putting people there if they're not going to support them because six months down the line, 
they got to, it's not, I want them to fail, but they've got to fail because they don't have that system around them. So I think why it has moved forward, it hasn't moved in a way it needs to. And I think there's still a lot of conversation and, and action need to be done. And it also, it goes down to also government, like what is the government saying and how do we respond to that as artists? Because then that, that's when our political side has to come into it because, you know, at the end of the day, the government does have a, play a big role in how income and funding comes into our pocket. So <laughs> you have to be involved in those conversations and in the political stuff to make change. And I think that's what's missing is more activists, artists wanting to engage with that side mm. of the arts. That's actually sometimes even more important than sometimes making our work, mm. if I'm being honest, because if we can sector change means governmental change. Yeah. But governmental change happened and then sector changes. I don't think it's, we can't change our sector if we don't have the income. Yeah. We can only make suggestions, if I'm, if I'm being frank. Yeah. And I don't know, to, to me, it feels like there was so much, you know, really important and exciting conversation taking place in those dark days. Um, and now everyone is just super busy and trying to catch up, you know, on the work they should be sending out there or the work yeah. they're making and applying for, for funds, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, I do wonder if the, it's it's slipped off the uh, agenda a little bit or, or yeah, that it, it hasn't man- manifested itself into action. Yeah, I, I, I would agree. I think he it, it's a mixture of both. Slipped up a bit but hasn't manifested into action. But I think it's also COVID has been so unpredictable and... And it's not over. It's not over. And then if you look at inflation, it's at all-time high. You know, that does affect how I have... I have empathy for organisation because they also have to look at their budget. They also have to look at what is coming in. What do we need to do? What's going to get bums in seats so we can generate the income first? And then do that. So it's, it's that balancing, you know, I won't understand it if I'm an emerging artist, but as I'm a bit more mid-career, I understand organisational, what is happening. And I sympathise with that, but it's also, I think is, I think for me, it's the transparency of organisation being open with more freelancers emerging to let them know what situation they're in and why mm. they kind of did this in a moment, but they're trying to. So let's see other avenues, how we can. Yeah. I think that's a big thing. I think that's missing for me. Yeah. Transparency. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I hear you. Okay. And last question. Um, what's coming up? What's exciting for you in the future? What's coming up? Oof. Apart from so, the scoop we've had about the show, the show in November. The show in November, the premiere of the female pieces coming up. Uh, launching a new hip-hop festival in Brazil at the end of November. So working on that and it's got to start fundraising for that soon as well. And hopefully the apprenticeship program will come back later on this year. So that's kind of the main kind of things uh, focusing on. Amazing. You are the busiest man in dance. (laughs) Joseph, thank you so much for your time. Uh, Brilliant luck with everything that's happening this week and in the months to come. I really appreciate talking to you. Yeah, thank you. Thank you for having me.
that's it for this episode of Downtime. I hope you enjoyed it. Do listen to the other episodes of both seasons one and two with lots of brilliant artists and arts leaders. And for more information about me, my work, the courses I run and the artists and organisations I work with all through COAD, the Centre of Applied Dramaturgy, go to www.thecoad.org. Thanks for listening. May you be lucky and well enough to have a little inspired downtime of your own. <laughs>